0: Amen, amen. You can grab a seat. And uh, children, kindergarten through fifth grade, you were dismissed to your classes. It's always so good to see the children. Let's just thank them for being here this morning. We love what God's doing there. We're thankful for the leadership of our uh, children's ministry team and the way they serve. It's such a fantastic um, part of our church. And um, man, good morning and uh, and welcome to uh, to Christ Church. I'm so encouraged um, by our church this morning and honestly just kind of uh, overwhelmed with the things that I see God doing, not only in me, but in my family and in our church family. And, um, you know, I, I love hearing uh, some of the stories that are, are, are getting my attention and that are being told uh, to me in regards to uh, this season of incarnation, and, you know, I uh I'm, I'm starting to just tire more and more of sort of just, just church as usual with the same rhythms and programs. And, and um, I, I, just, I just love watching that the truth of Jesus and the gospel is, is being embodied in our church as we go to try to incarnate the reality of Christ in our community. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? Amen? And, um, and in Christ, through the power of the Spirit, we can represent Christ and proclaim Christ's love indeed and in truth. Like, that's a fantastic opportunity that we have. It's beautiful, it's life-giving, and it's a, it's a picture of the mission being fulfilled. To, to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. And I just pray for God to continue this work and would encourage you to pray the same. So, um, this morning, we're taking aim again. That's the bigger series we're in, and the first section of that uh, series, as we look at the center of discipleship, was to draw near to Christ, and, and we're in message two of the sort of second portion of that target or that center, which is knowing the work of Christ. Last week, highlighted the supremacy of Christ as our creator, right, and we navigated the depth and the beauty and the power of that and in this message um, God has more for us from the book of Colossians to sort of throw fuel on the fire of your faith and so if your Bibles if you got your Bible with you like I hope you do get your Bibles open to Colossians uh, chapter 2 verse 13 is where we're going to uh, be at in just a few moments but let me just orient us around this book of Colossians. Um, As we saw last week, Paul starts this letter to the Colossians going, man, you have to understand that Christ is supreme over all other things. He highlights the preeminence of Christ, and he calls the church then out of that to proclaim Jesus. And then, starting in chapter 2, verse 6... Paul applies this truth to the disciples' life and he literally calls them to walk in him, to walk in Christ, to put off the sinful flesh. And then, before we get to 13, I want you to notice verse 12. How many of you have been baptized in the room? Raise your hand. Okay, lots of people. You had a moment in time. You stood in the waters of baptism. You proclaimed your testimony publicly. You went down under the water, up out of the water, symbolizing your death to Christ, um, your your death to all that, uh, your sin, and then come out into the gospel and the reality of the resurrection. Uh, Notice what it says in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 12 highlights that Baptism is not just a moment in the past, it's a present reality. Christ followers live out of their proclamation of baptism. We're always crucifying the flesh as the followers of Christ, putting it to death, burying it, and then being raised with Christ through faith in the powerful work of God. Amen? That's our testimony. This ongoing testimony of baptism leads to a proclamation of victory that I want us to see starting in verse 13. Follow along. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here's the big idea as we survey the work of Christ and its implication for us. Christ, my victor, displays in me the victory he has already won so much for us in this message. Uh, in this passage, there's three actions that show that you know the work of Christ as victor. If you're walking and, and you have this perception of Christ as my victor, there's three sort of actions or implications that come out of this. First one is this, contemplate the stench of spiritual death. Some of you are like, man, this is victory. We're starting off in kind of an odd place. Those who know the gospel know it's the only place you can start. we got to come face to face with the stench of spiritual death caused by sin. Notice what it says there. It's in your Bible. And you who were dead. Who were dead. Like, that's the implication of Sin. The implication of sin worked out, unchecked, without some resolution, some redemption, some reconciliation, leads to spiritual death. Like no pulse spiritually. Spiritually dead, it says. Who were dead in your trespasses. First, dead in your trespasses. The trespass, if you want to know what that word means when you see it in Scripture, it means sin. It means sin. But the image of trespass is really strong. One commentator observed that trespass is this strong term that emphasizes the conscious rebellion. So I'm making a choice to rebel against God, and that rebellion leads people to turn against God so that now they stand guilty before Him. It's not accidental or unintentional. Trespass means that you saw the sign on the fence telling you no trespassing don't go this direction. And you went right past it. That's what a trespass is. In in, in the face of a holy God, you are condemned to spiritual death for one trespass. Which makes all of us what? Guilty. Makes us all guilty. Second, look what it says, it says, uh, dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, and that's a reference back to verse 11, look back just a few verses, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision was a physical mark given to every Jewish male as a sign of their covenant with God. If you don't know what circumcision is, please ask your parents after the service. I don't care how old you are, just call them up. It will be awkward, I promise you. But but what verse 11 is talking about, and what the New Testament points to, is this. Circumcision is not physical anymore. In Christ, it's a circumcision of the heart. The heart is designated and set apart in a covenant relationship with God. It's a circumcision, as it says in verse 11, of Christ. It means your heart and your flesh are now set apart for Christ, not for sin. It means you're surrendered to the authority of Christ. Before faith in Christ, you were dead in your sins, and your flesh was not surrendered to Christ. We have to remember this reality that you were dead. We have to contemplate the stench of spiritual death. You know, um, death stinks. Like, death really, really stinks. In today's culture, though, we are so insulated from the full reality of death it, like we, we, we try to make death as quick and clinical and clean and we wonder why we have this, this remnant of like, that was terrible. But I don't feel like I'm given permission to have any, any space to process it. It stinks like literally and figuratively. And what the culture we live in is so different than ancient cultures. We're insulated even from the smell of death. Now Now this is a bit of a gross illustration but it has a point, a connection that needs to be made. Because otherwise we'll read something like you were dead and we'll just pass by it in the clinical, clean understanding of death. And we'll miss something that God wants to teach us. A decomposing body smells really bad. It's the smell of death. It's worse than the smell of the milk bottle that you discover underneath the, underneath the seat of a van in the summer. Anybody with me on that one? Some parents are like when I even say milk bottle in van summer. Just those com- words combined don't lead to a good response. It's it's worse than a a decomposing body is worse than a, a four year old's diaper. Okay, I love maturity in my kids. That maturity I did not like. And uh, the smell of death is actually caused. I thought found this so interesting. Uh, by gases released in decomposition and two of the dominant gases you got to look at this because sometimes when people make up words it just makes sense here's the two words uh that are the gases cadaverine and putrescine cadaverine is is comes from the word cadaver okay so that makes sense and the other one is putrescine which is close to the word putrid which when you get a bad smell you know you're like that is putrid it's so gross and into this, I just had to ask the question, maybe it would be helpful if we were more familiar with the smell of death. Why? Because terrible smells, we know this, terrible smells cause repulsion. There is something about, about a terrible smell that immediately causes, causes you to could like pull away and then to address the smell, Okay. Like, it's like junior high um, uh, students and the smell of their feet when the shoes come off. In my house, I would say often, I'd be like, foot bath, go get a foot bath. Because the smell causes you to want to pull away and you want to deal with that. Listen, listen, sin causes spiritual death. Sin and our exposure and our giving ourselves to it literally causes the decomposition of your spiritual life. And we might be insulated from the smell of physical death, but we cannot fail to understand the stench of spiritual death caused by sin. Before highlighting the work of Christ, we have to recognize our sin before a holy God and go, that smells terrible. And we've got to make sure that that smell is sort of stuck in our nose and that it's causing us to be repulsed by it. And to pull away, it's the smell of death. Let the repulsion of it When rightly understood and rightly identified in this passage, you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Almost to sense what the smell was when you were were just dead in your sin, away from God, and then allow that repulsion to, to cause you to address sin with zeal. And confess your sin to God quickly and willingly and consistently because you know that in Him is the only place that you can be cleansed. And where, and where actually the, the decomposition through the work of Christ can actually be reversed. Where the, where the putrid smell can be replaced by the beautiful aroma of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were dead. Now, with the stench fresh in your nose, let's see the victorious work of God. Second point this morning. If of Jesus Christ, I understand that Jesus is the victor are gonna be a people who claim your place in Christ's victorious kingdom. (laughs) The good news of the gospel is coming. Look what it says. It comes out of the gate fast, right after this stench of death that we can smell and remember in the reality of our lives. It says, God made alive together with him. It's God's work. Right there on display. He made you alive. It turned your heart, opened your eyes, changed your heart. It was by grace, it was undeserved. Especially given your death, the death and the reality of the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. It was demonstrated then in the forgiveness of all of your trespasses through his. Fully and completely sufficient death on the cross. And because of this work of Christ that you see here, because of this, you don't have to be stuck in the stench of spiritual death anymore. You can reverse it. You can eliminate the, the, the stench, but look what it says next. It says, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Because of Christ's work, you don't have anything more to prove. Through your actions or your works, he simply invites you to lay claim to what has already been finished in the work of Christ. Do you understand how, good, how much of a good news that is to us? The victory is complete, church. This has already been accomplished. It was already finished. Claim your place in Christ's victorious kingdom. February 2nd, 2020, um, my uh, hometown uh, football team, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, won Super Bowl 54. My mom, um, because my mom loves me, she still lives in Kansas City, she bought me this shirt commemorating their victory right there. 54, they won the Super Bowl. And it was a, that was a pretty fun day. And honestly, given the way 2020 went after February 2nd, it was kind of my high for 2020. No surprise. And um, the, the victory that they had in that Super Bowl, it's a, it's a declared truth. It's a historical reality. You can look it up on your phone right now. You can see it. Um, and, uh, and at that time, that victory brought me great joy. Like jumping around our house, having a blast with my family, um, you know, FaceTiming my brothers in Kansas City as they were shooting off fireworks or whatever crazy stuff they do in Missouri. But that victory in, in, that, that's in the past, that historical reality, it doesn't really impact my life anymore. You know, like, thinking about it this week, I was even like, you know, the joy of that's kind of faded over time. You can also note that, that that's even true for the players on the team that won the Super Bowl. They won, and then it's like, off to next season, Zero zero, starting again. You notice that the positive impact of, of so many events in our lives diminish over time. We, we all have stories, though, don't we, of the person who, um, <laughs> we may, some of you may be this person, they, they try to squeeze a lot of joy out of their glory days. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably the person. <laughs> still telling the stories of the past, trying to find significance out of that past in their present, but they still seem stuck in the past. And it's honestly kind of awkward to encounter. You're kind of like, um, you seem to be trying to squeeze a lot of joy out of your past glory. And it's kind of awkward but it's different with the gospel. It is so, so different with the gospel. The work of Christ is a declared truth. It is a historical reality, but the impact does not diminish over time, it increases. His work in the past opens the door for his work in the present And leads us to understand and it constantly points. And not only does its work in the present, part of its work in the present is to constantly point to the final promised work of Christ in the future. It It is an eternal reality that literally encompasses all of your life. Because that God, unlike the fixed reality of the Super Bowl victory, which brought me joy in a fleeting moment, it exists beyond time. And the implications for that are wonderful. Claim your place in Christ's victorious kingdom. A kingdom marked by the work of Christ. The work of Christ has eternal benefits. Note this, uh, this slide on the screen. Um, Rooted in the past, active in the present, certain in the future. The work of Christ has eternal benefits. Rooted in the past, active in the present, Certain in the future. Claim it. It's yours in Christ. Some of you have believed way too long that the work of Christ was something you had to work out or you had to earn or you you had to work to a place where then you would deserve it. That's not the gospel. The beautiful gift of the gospel is that it is rooted in the past, active in the present, certain in the future. He canceled your record of debt. Claim it live into it. As I was thinking about this, I was, I was just taken by this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so I just, I just was thinking about, this is kind of the picture in my head. I pictured that this record of debt This is like the best example of what I was thinking in my head. Record of debt. Brian Beeman, a sinner before a holy God, is in debt to God because of his sin of blank. I could fill in the blank with lots of things. It is an amount that he cannot pay and has left him condemned to an eternity separated from God. And as I was thinking about this, the picture in my head was like uh, imagining going through my day and every single time that I fail and miss the mark and, and sin becomes the reality of a choice that I make, I imagined that in my day, just around my house in the afternoon, that one of this record of debt would just come floating out of the sky and would just land on the ground. And then I'd be like, hmm. And then I go on and something else happens. I get myself in a difficult moment and falls into my life and then again and again the reality of sin and the record of debt like one of those one of those leaves me before a holy god unholy one of those the weight of one of these records of debt leave me with a debt i can't pay a burden i can't carry uh, um, something that I need to, to, to fix and reconcile and redeem that I can't do it. Just one of them leaves me condemned. But by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside. And in a way that I can only describe as just um, gloriously beautiful and also equally convicting, I just had this picture of the work of Christ just coming along behind me and just going like, And just nailing it to the cross. And through faith, that work is still as accessible to me as when I first first came to Christ to claim the work of Christ in the past and apply it to your sin in the present. that's what it means as a disciple to walk in repentance. And, and, and that's how I live in the reality that I was made alive together with Him. That the, that the reason why I can do that, the, the reason why I can access this work of Christ that literally comes behind me, already knew every sin that I was going to sin, already bought it on the cross, already accomplished everything, already finished the work and then in my, by, my, by faith I'm just accessing the, the aliveness that, that God says I've been made alive together with Him. I'm accessing the resurrection power of God through the work of Christ. All of your trespasses are forgiven. All of them. Not one stands against you. You owe Christ nothing he paid the entire record of debt. All the demands have been paid in full. There's no payment plan in the forgiveness of Christ. Like Anybody happy for that? There's no payment plan. It's all you're going to be owing until like 2200. There's no purgatory where you've got to like finish that debt. It's preposterous. He died on the cross his work was full and complete and victorious. There's no interest added to it. Nothing stands against you. Yes, the reality of sin is, is that the sin that plays out in my life does have consequences. But nothing stands against my right relationship with God that can help me deal with the consequences, learn from the consequences so that the, the stench of death I'm avoiding now with the wisdom that I've earned and learned from that. It has been set aside. This is the victory. His body was given, His blood covered your sin. Christ is the victor. It's rooted in the past, it's active in the present, it's certain in the future. Claim your place. In Christ's victorious kingdom. Christ, my victor, displays in me the victory that he has already won. And then, this last one celebrate the triumph. Celebrate the triumph. Verse 15. Um, Church, listen. I think about this a lot when I'm when I'm when I'm like unpacking the gospel uh, in my life, and when I get the chance to unpack it uh, to you in church. There's times when I'm just like, man, I would have been really, really good if it would have ended at 14. Anybody? Anybody good with that? Anybody fine with that? Like, I could have ended, Amen. Like, Christ victorious, but it didn't end. Look what 15 says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The work of Christ triumphed over rulers and authorities. That's powerful truth. You gotta gotta, gotta unpack this. Rulers and authorities, uh, Paul uses uh, this reference uh, a number of different places in his letters to the church. And uh, it communicates kind of the totality of supernatural and natural beings who try to rule, command, or exercise control over your life through any means necessary. It's any being or or idea or, or thought or temptation that tries to lead you away from the leadership and guidance of Christ. All of it is informed or influenced by these rulers or authorities collectively. So think big group. Uh, in, in, in Christ's death and resurrection, church, in the work of Christ, in his victory, part of his victory is that he disarmed the rulers. It's like he replaced their, their gun that can shoot bullets right into your soul. He replaced it with like a water gun. That's what he did through the gospel. He takes their power away to harm you. They've been stripped of any power to use against you. You can still give them power. This is what the follower of Christ does when they submit themselves again to sin. You're giving them power they don't have. But if you remain in Christ, they have no power. They cannot hurt you. They cannot impact you. They cannot direct your life any longer. When you're living in him, there's no power that remains. It's it's right there. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And then one, it goes further than that. It says he puts them to open shame. The word here of open shame means to a disgrace publicly. He makes a complete mockery of their power. You know, one of the beautiful parts about the gospel story and one of the paradoxes of the cross, something you don't expect until you're until you're understanding the story of the cross, is that that the rulers and authorities, the, the Jewish rulers and authorities at that time in the gospel story, uh, the, the Jewish and authorities were not super thrilled about Jesus and, and how he was sort of usurping their power and taking it away. And so in a response to that, the Jewish authorities, and honestly even the Roman authorities in some ways, um, they, they thought they had a plan to triumph over Jesus. They, they publicly humiliated him, brought him out, opened shame, mocked him, uh, tortured him and nailed Him to a cross, a a great public display of shame and weakness. They mocked Him, they celebrated their triumph over Him. But what God actually did in the cross was that he dragged the rulers and authorities out into the open. He disarmed them. He exposed their error, and he disgraces them. What what they thought was their triumph, he turned it into his own triumph. The crucified Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, he won victory through death and confounded the wisdom of the world that would have thought that would not be possible except for God and except for the gospel. So 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 then into that how do we thinking about that even rejoicing in that some of us our hearts stirred up by what Jesus accomplished on the cross how do we celebrate this triumph in our lives what does it look like Look at the last phrase of that verse by triumphing over them in him in him we're, we're, we're back to the work of Christ. It's in the work of Christ. It's not, it's not church, it's not, it's not this sort of direct triumph where we sort of fight directly against the rulers and authorities. Because, because Paul writes in other places, the battle is not against flesh and blood. So those of us who want to storm places and, and sort of overturn the powers and authorities... The way of the gospel is significantly different than that. The way of the gospel is to be compelled with something so much greater than that that you just disarm it of power by leaving people with no interest in those rulers or authorities because they found a power way greater to submit to. It's not through some wartime mentality. It is the victory comes by triumphing over them Through the work of Christ. Victory, this is hard sometimes for us to get. Victory, particularly in our nation and our culture, victory comes by living out of the reality of Christ's death on the cross and then living into the power that comes from the truth of his resurrection. You can't have one without the other. So we're called to celebrate the triumph. I believe that. But, but I want to I I correct something that happens a lot of times in the church in America. Um, what happens is we've got to be careful that the work of Christ does not lead us to this thing called triumphalism. Anyone heard this word? I, I, I love our church because in fir, after first service, one of the women that was in the first service, she said she fact-checked me on triumphalism. I was like... I love that. And it is really a word. Okay, I did not make it up. That is not a pastor word that I made up in a message. Triumphalism is this: it's excessive exaltation over one's successes or achievements. Triumphalism. Now, triumphalism in, in the faith or in theology, it means that you're focused on your life being filled with glory and joy, but you ignore or diminish the way of the cross. the call to suffer that leads to the triumph and joy. Listen, it is always life through death. It is always life through death. Gordon Fee summarized it this way when he wrote about this. He said, Now, while it is true that we are promised glory in this life, though not the kind we may crave in our sinful flesh, we are most certainly promised suffering as well. I I think that um, sometimes in our weakness and insecurity, in our grief and in our suffering, we feel sometimes in the church, like, and I know some of you feel this, and I I watch this and I've seen this play out in a variety of ways that has been unhealthy in the context of the church we feel like the, the way of the cross just ends with the resurrection, so we should just end with this constant sort of sense of like, we've won! And like this celebration, we're like high-fiving and we're like dancing around, but then the person who's right in the midst of suffering looks at that and goes, uh, I, I, I can't connect. Because what I'm walking through is heavy and hard and difficult. Triumphalism, when it's not balanced by the way of the cross, can be incredibly off-putting to others, even in the context of the church. It's, it's almost like this idea of like, I, I sort of skirt past the, the, the cross just to get to the resurrection. That, that my, my, my understanding of my faith is just, I'm just trying to like put the, put the bow on it, without redeeming what's broken. And it becomes imbalanced, and and, and you start to get this thing that happens in the church where where people become ignorant of of true suffering, sometimes because really what God's done in their life, they don't even remember what that was like in a moment. But we know the reality of life and brokenness means that all of us at times are gonna come face to face with suffering, guaranteed. Even just the reality of, of life and death is gonna lead to that. And it can cause you in triumphalism to live in this sort of reality that causes you to be out of touch with the real emotions of grief and pain that always come in this life through suffering. And it can start to feel fake. Anybody sense that at times? You know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. The definitive triumph of Christ's victory, to declare that Christ my victor, Means that what I've seen most consistently in people's lives is the balance between a humble confidence and a rich compassion. A humble confidence and a rich compassion. If you want to pray for a balance of two things in your life, as a follower of Jesus Christ, still living, confident in the victory of Christ, but a humble confidence. God, you've brought me to this place where I have confidence in you, but it's all because of you. It's not because of me because I was dead in my trespasses and I can still remember and and experience the stench of spiritual death that you've redeemed and you canceled and I live with the humility of that reality but a confidence in what you've done and at times a rich compassion because I know what you've done and I smell death still, freshly, all around me in this world. Gospel triumph is a balance. To really celebrate the triumph, what you have to do, church, is simply what it says here. It's to walk in Him. To walk in Him. It's where you participate in the work of Christ in your life. You suffer as He suffered. You're not surprised by suffering. You're actually mostly surprised by the fact there's not more of it. Any glimpse of not suffering is a place for rejoicing. You communicate the gospel to the world through your life and through your words, but you know that you're guaranteed to face rejection and persecution, so you're not surprised by it. And you can walk in it, rightly. You crucify the flesh to purify your life from sin, so Christ can be seen in you more clearly following the way of the cross. He's the suffering servant, so you're the servant willing to suffer. He was crucified on the cross, but triumphs through the power of the resurrection. And so you, like Paul proclaims in Galatians, are crucified with Christ, but you'll triumph through the power of the resurrection. See, the triumph comes rightly balanced in this life, because in Christ you can actually, through the work of Christ, you can navigate suffering because he showed you how. How? and you can experience joy in it even because of the purpose and the hope of the gospel that we talked about that's real because of his victory. Because you found something so much better in the cross and resurrection. You triumph through suffering because he is your victor in suffering and glory. And his victory promises you the hope of his final return when all suffering will come to an end. This is the triumph that you celebrate. Christ, my victor, displays in me the victory he has already won. Contemplate the stench of spiritual death. Claim your place in Christ's victorious kingdom. Celebrate the triumph. So what I want to do as we close today is really simply this. I want us to walk it out in communion. Like... um. I want you to come to this time of remembrance and we've got, it, we've got the communion in stations today for a, for a purpose, for a reason. Um, I, I want you to personally recognize Christ as your victor and that he, displays, he wants to display in you the victory he has already won. So here's the plan for communion. First, communion is applicable and the invitation is for the followers of Jesus Christ. If you have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you right where you're at to not come forward and take communion at this point, but I want you to process the glory and the power of the work of Christ for you and consider that even this morning, God would invite you, would welcome you to put your faith in Christ. Amen? Anyone who does not yet know can turn For the followers of Christ, as as this song is, is about to be sung over us, when that song begins, I want you to start by contemplating the stench of spiritual death. I want you in these moments to make personal what we've been talking about. To confess your sin to Christ. And after you have an opportunity just to confess that to the Lord, I want you to walk forward to one of the tables here, and I want you to, in reaching down and taking hold of the two cups, they are symbols of what you're laying claim to. The two cups stacked on top of one another. One is the symbol of his body given for you, the bread. The other one is the symbol of his blood poured out for you, the juice. And I want you just to come forward, to lay claim to those and take them. We're not going to take them together, you just take them up front. His body given for you. His blood poured out for you. And take those elements here and then return to your seat. And, and as you return to your seat, just, just just, thank God for His victory. Ask God for, for you to walk in triumph, to celebrate this, to, to have a, a humble confidence and a rich compassion growing in your life. And then we're going to celebrate the triumph uh, together in worship. So that's the move, is the song is sung over you too confess your sin to come forward lay claim to what is yours in Christ to return to your seat and be prepared to celebrate in triumph let's move now time to remember let's affirm in communion that Christ my victor displays in me the victory he has already won come forward as you're ready